Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. May God add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. May we pray. Heavenly Father, help me, your unworthy servant, to open my mouth with boldness, with clarity, with practicality, in such a way that no one leaves this building this day unchanged. And that's only possible by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, whom you have promised to be with us until the end of the age. So hear our prayer, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I love your cemetery. I remember walking there years ago, and I discovered some interesting things. And I did a little research. I discovered that there was a ruling elder in the Philadelphia's Presbyterian Church in Robeson County, North Carolina. His name was <clears throat> Daniel McCorvey. And he decided that with the opportunity, thanks to the dumbness of France and selling a vast portion of land to the United States under Thomas Jefferson, in 1803, we bought, we had the Louisiana Purchase. And so people began to look for opportunities. And the McCorveys were living in North Carolina, and he was there with his mama. And I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly, if I understand Scottish pronunciations. Her name was Annabella Boy McCorvey. Annabella Boy McCorvey. She was born in Scotland in 1775. Now, he was born in the 1700s, but he was born in North Carolina. So he and his mama decided to head west to a land of opportunity that had opened up. They crossed over and came all the way to Arkansas, to southern Arkansas, and they settled right here. And what is the first thing that they did? The first thing that a ruling elder in the Presbyterian church would do is to make sure that the Sabbath day is respected. And while they didn't have a church building and they had to meet probably initially in their covered wagons, they eventually built a house and they began to worship. And in the course of time, this church was organized and chartered and it began with a ruling elder who believed that we honor the Lord on the Lord's day. Amen. And so he led, he led a group of people, mainly family. He got married, by the way, on the way. And so uh, he started a church. And it came right in. It wasn't some guy getting mad. You know that how it happens out in the country. I ride around. I used to have a motorcycle. Uh, but being my age, I, I decided I need four instead of two wheels. And so, right out in the country, you see all these churches. One here, one there, one there. And those are churches that are started by men, not God. What I mean? Well, uh, Sister uh, Bertha, better than you. 
uh, got mad at the preacher, and she ruled the roost, even though she believed in male-only leadership, quote-unquote. And she got her husband by the ear, and she said, we're leaving that church. We're going to start our own. Well, I want you to know something. Mr. McCorvey believed in the Presbyterian form of church government. That the church is just not private individuals getting mad and going and doing their own thing. He had a letter from the session of the Philadelphus Presbyterian Church in Robeson County for him and his mama when they came here. And so it was a church that was started by a man who respected authority, respected a leadership, and didn't just do what he wanted to do because he got mad at the preacher. I love preaching in black churches because I get some response. <laughs> Anyhow, so, so they came and they founded this church. And that's why I love your cemetery, because it's got so many lessons in it. Now, what I want you to see here on this particular passage of Scripture that we ended with in Jude, down at the bottom of the page, on verse 9, page 1335, is, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Do you know that even Michael the archangel respects authority? Who's he respecting in authority here? He's respecting Satan. You mean we should respect Satan? Yes, but you shouldn't obey him. But you don't go mocking him. You don't go making fun. You don't go saying, well, the devil made me do it. He sure had a role in it. But you speak respectfully. And I think that says something about modern America. You may not like the president, or you may not have liked the president before. I think the last two I really liked were Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> but listen, you don't speak evil of, of authorities. And you see there's respect in the local church for authority. God-ordained authority. It's not, it's not Bob Big Buck's who is to be in charge. God's method of running a church is elders, plural. When you read the New Testament, it's always plural, elders over a local church. And so not even Michael the archangel, Michael the archangel, in speaking to the devil, rails against him with, with violent, blasphemous things. He could have said it, but he relied on the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. But I want you to see what they were contending about. You ever thought about it? They were contending about the body of Moses. Why is that important? Well, turn back with me, if you will, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 34, page 259. Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 34. It's the very end of the book. And we're told here that Moses died... And there in verse 7, Moses was about 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. That's when I want to die, if I can die like Moses. You say, 120? Can a human being live that long? Yes, I, a human being can. I'm in my mid-70s. I wouldn't mind to be preaching 20 years from now. 
but I, I want my natural strength. Moses had his natural strength up to then. How can that happen? Because God still does miracles today. He really does. But I want you to see what this is about. The Lord buried Moses. The Lord buried Moses. He probably had Michael do it. Michael, you go ahead and bury Moses for me. The devil didn't want him buried. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't want to honor the body of a human being. Turn with me, if you will, to the end of the book of Joshua. The end of the book of Joshua. We find another strange thing here. We're going right, and we get to the very end of Joshua, and we read these words in Joshua 24. And it says this. That's page 291. Joshua 24 page 291 and verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which, the, which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Joseph is in Egypt. Joseph is the man that God used to rescue the Israelite people. His brothers connived and schemed against him. They were jealous of him. You know, brothers like that still today. Somebody told me one time, you never really know a man until you divide a will with him. And my wife and I had our will done in such a way that anyone that contests it is automatically disinherited. <laughs> a lawyer friend of mine said, I've never had anybody challenge a will I wrote. I said, really? She said, I'll tell you what, I'll do it for you and Sandy for free. And so she asked us a bunch of questions. And at the end, uh, she uh, had it typed up. We came in about 10 days later and reread it. And I read that and I said, wow. She said, they'll never challenge your will. People fight over, I had cousins fight over my uncle's reclining chair. Yeah. Did you know things like that happen? Anyhow, so what I want you to see here is that Joseph, who had been betrayed by his own brothers, believed in the providence of God. And he says near the end of his life in Genesis 50, as for you, you scoundrels, <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, as for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good. Do we believe in the providence of God? The providence of God says, I'm here today because of God's will. And he uses all kinds of means to that end. He may use human meanness, chicanery, and whatnot. He may rig an election to get somebody elected. I wonder if there's ever been in the history of the United States a completely honest election. I don't think so. But listen, whatever happens, God is in control. Joseph believed that. And as for you, you meant it for evil. But that one in the same series of acts, 
God ordained for the good of his people. So he believed in providence. But I want you to see something. In, in Genesis 50, I want you to, we're not going to turn there. He gives a commandment. Do you know that Joseph, knowing his kinfolks, made them swear an oath by the Lord God himself to get his bones and bring them with them when they left? Why is that important? Think about it. Joseph made them swear an oath by the Lord to bring his bones from Egypt and bring them to the promised land because he believed in the promises of God. Just as we sang, standing on the promises. Without the promises of God, what have you got? Social Security go bankrupt? Stock market fail? I don't think that's going to happen. I think what's going to happen is when you print money, uh, like a guy in the Weimar Republic in Germany, money isn't worth anything. What are you going to stand on? The promises of politicians? You're going to stand on the Federal Reserve? You're going to stand on the word of your bank president? What happens when the paper money is worth less than, you remember the beginning of COVID, toilet paper? Wow. What are you going to stand on? Stand on the promises of God. Joseph stood on the promises of God. He believed in the goodness of God. He believed in the promises of God. And he said, I want to be buried where people know where I am. Wow. Get my bones when you leave and carry me to the promised land. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. I want to think about attitudes in terms of human beings and death. Do you know if you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Leviticus, you read the book of Numbers, death defiles. Do you know that? Death defiles. Do you know that they had a ceremony involving a red heifer, and they had to burn that red heifer and collect the ashes, and they kept it outside the camp, and they mixed it with water, and they sprinkled people, who had been defiled by death. Death defiles. Do you know that if you touched a dead person, you were unclean for seven days in the Old Testament? Now we're not under that. Let me say this about the Old and New Testament. For us in the New Testament, everything in the Old Testament carries over, but not in the same way. It's all different, but it carries over. Everything in the Old Testament teaches us a lesson. And that says something about burying people inside a church. Where in the world did that nonsense come from? Preacher, man, you're messing up here. You're condemning the Church of England. (laughs) Well, (laughs) where is the idea of bringing dead people who defile into a sanctuary where God's worshipped? You know what I read is that it defiles. For example, do you remember a king named Josiah? King Josiah was prophesied by the man of God in 1 Kings 13 when he went to preach against the man-made religion of the northern country of Israel. He was from Judah, and the northern kingdom said, the king there, Jeroboam I, said, you know, man, People are going to be traveling back to Jerusalem to worship. I can't have that. So he concocted out of his own imagination how to worship God. 
So he created, imitating Aaron when Moses was on the mountain, he had golden calves. He had one up north and one sort of south so people wouldn't travel back. But God didn't approve of that because God doesn't want to be worshipped in visible form. And what happens is he sends the man of God to go up there and prophesy. And he said, he cursed that altar. And he said, there's going to be a man. There's going to be a king coming named Josiah. It was centuries later. And he will destroy this. And you know what happened? Josiah the king, who was the last godly king of Judah, went north, went to Israel, and he defiled it. Do you know how he defiled it? He went and got people out of the cemetery, and he burned their bones, and he put them on top of the altar. Because when you put the dead on top of a place of worship, you defile it. Now, by the way, where did the idea of worshiping the dead ever come from? It's interesting. You know, we have Halloween. That's All Hallows' Eve and then All Saints' Day. And in Mexico, because I've preached a lot on the border, they have the Day of the Dead, which is November 2nd. And that's when everybody goes to the cemetery and has a picnic all around their dead people. Interesting, huh? So uh, where did the idea of respecting the bones and using them as magic uh, charms, call them relics, well, there's one obscure incident in the Old Testament where the prophet Elisha had died and they had buried him. And there's another man who has died and they're going to bury him. But a foreign army had come and they were in a hurry to get rid of this man's body. So they threw him into the grave of Elisha. And when that dead man's body, dead body touched the bones of Elisha, he came back to life. Does that give us a warrant to take the bones of the dead and revere them and respect them and make it a special place? Let me tell you, this church was founded by Scottish Presbyterians. They had no truck in that kind of thing. They were people who believed if it's not in this book, we don't do it. And so you didn't worship the bones of your ancestors. You didn't bring them in the church. And the idea of how to defile something was to burn the bones and, and defile it that way. So now I want you to reflect with me why I love your cemetery. You know what that cemetery does? First of all, it says you're going to die. There are three messages at the Scotland Presbyterian Cemetery. And it's a monument. It's a word picture. Let me tell you that that graveyard out there has more powerful message in it than any image you could ever have of, of Jesus or Bible story books that are illustrated because the first lesson that everybody needs to know is this. Where they are? You're headed there. So am I. That's why Sandy and I made a will. Because we know we're going to go somewhere physically. What happens when we bury a believer? The moment that a believer dies, ever since the Lord Jesus died and rose again, the moment a believer dies, 
absent from the body, present with the Lord. Present with the Lord. But that doesn't mean the body's not important. The body is important, and we'll get to that in a moment. The body is important. But we have to say, of those people who died in Christ, the moment they died, they went to be with the Lord Jesus. And their bodies were put in the ground. And we may speak of that as sleep in the sense that the body sleeps waiting for the resurrection. The soul does not sleep. It goes instantly to the presence of the Lord. So the first lesson of the cemetery, and you all ought to walk down there sometime. It's fascinating. You're going to be there. Well, you may get buried somewhere else. Or you may be in the military and be buried at sea. God's able to collect the molecules of your body, wherever it is, even if a shark swallowed it. (laughs) You are going to die. That's lesson one. Lesson two, when you walk out there, is the providence of God. Do you think that the McCorvey family left Robeson County of North Carolina doubting the providence of God? That whole cemetery out there is a testimony that God takes care of believers no matter what happens. All things work together for good to those who love God. Go out there and look. I love to visit cemeteries because cemeteries often have interesting messages on the tombstones. People often put scriptures there. They often quote this. They often quote that. I've often thought, well, I would like to, but they probably wouldn't. Most local cemeteries wouldn't let it be. Is to quote from Job 19.25. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and not another. Worms destroy this body. (laughs) Well, death is not pretty. Death was not part of God's plan for this earth of His original creation. But He built it in as a consequence of human sin. And as a result of that sin that God permitted, but not by a bare permission, but in His ultimate plan, death comes. And though after my skin... Worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. It's a monument to death. It's a monument to the providence of God. God's going to take care of me. You think they set out by wagon train from North Carolina through part maybe of Georgia or Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, come all the way over here to Arkansas because they were atheists? Didn't know what's going to happen. Maybe some way, somehow, it'll turn out. Let me say something. If you don't believe in God, why are you still around? Listen, life's tough. Life is hard. But the Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God. You know, I have, I have no question why suicide is an enormous cause of death in the United States today. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in life after death, you'll never risk anything for good and for God and for your children. If everything's chance, if your death is no more significant than a possum that got run over on the side of the road, 
What is the meaning of life? Death reminds us that there is meaning to life because God said you're going to die. And it also reminds us of the providence of God. Read those tombstones. Now there's a third reason. They buried their dead. They didn't cremate them. You know, there's no example of cremation as a blessing in the Bible, either the Old Testament or the New. I'm not condemning it. Draw your own conclusion. Cremation has its origin in secularism and in kind of like that song, all we are is dust in the wind. I'm not saying it's a sin to be cremated. I'm going to tell you, I want to be buried. I want people to know I lived. I died. And God was good to me. But I want them to know something else. Scotland Cemetery is a reminder that you're going to have a whole bunch of stuff happen. And if you happen to be around when it happens, you're going to think, man, those vandals came from El Dorado all the way down here to go out there and destroy our cemetery, our beautiful cemetery that we're taking an offering up for today. You know what's going to happen? When the Lord returns for His people, and then he will return with his people. When he returns for his people to spare his people the final judgment of God on this planet, those graves are going to be open. People are going to walk out there and say if they happen to be around, what in the world has happened? All those gravestones have been busted. They're broken. They're fallen down. The earth is open. My gracious, what has happened? I love your cemetery because... The vast majority, that doesn't mean everybody, the vast majority of people sleeping there, when the archangel shouts, when the trumpet sounds, when the Lord returns from heaven, on that great getting up morning, they're going to get up out of the grave. And what are they going to look like? All worm-eaten and diseased and cancerous? and No! They're going to rise with glorified bodies, just as the Lord Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again in the same body He died with, but a glorified body. He could do things with that glorified body that He could not have done before His body was glorified. So when they get up out of the grave, you're going to be amazed. And let me say this. To however many McCorveys there are here, you don't have to have that as a last name. But I'd be surprised if most of you haven't got McCorvey blood in you somewhere. When you see Daniel McCorvey and Annabelle Boy McCorvey, after they've been raised from the dead, you're going to say, Oh, my, they're beautiful. They're so beautiful, you're going to think, I need to worship them. But you know... The first thing they'd say is, don't worship me, worship Jesus. So let me say, I love your cemetery. I love to walk in your graveyard because of three lessons it gives me. The body's important. God always made sure the body was taken care of so people would know this person lived and died, and this is where their body is resting. Reminds people of death. Reminds people of the providence of God. He'll take care of you. And it reminds you... I ain't going to stay there. I'm going to rise again. May we pray. Lord, I pray if anyone here today 
does not know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, that you would use this sermon, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. You would use this sermon, and you would use this cemetery as a reminder of what lies ahead for all human beings, unless we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air before we die. You would remind everyone here of the goodness of God. Not for everybody. All things don't work together for good to those who don't love God. When people don't love you and they don't worship you, you're their enemy. And you cause everything to work against them so that they will repent of their sins and say, Help me. Rescue me. Lord, I need your help. Because ultimately you are their friend. And that you would also remind them that death is never the end. The spirit of the soul goes to be with Jesus, but it will re-enter the human body and come forth in a glorified way. Bless these words, Lord, in Jesus' name and our fellowship. For Jesus' sake, amen.